0: Greetings, in the name of the triune God. Welcome to the Rural Midwestern Pastor Podcast. My name is David Johnson, and I'm blessed to pastor the small rural congregation in which I was raised. Please join us as we explore together how the scriptures declare the good news that God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus. If you'd like more information about our small rural congregation, Please visit church.org That's S-O-M-O-N-A-U-K-BaptistChurch.org. Thank you for listening. May grace, peace, and everything good be yours in King Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to the SBC Daily Word for Wednesday, April 14th, 2021. Again, we're walking section by section through the letter we know as 2 Peter. Today, we're going to finish the first chapter. So we're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Again, this is something we could consider as Peter's farewell letter. There's a couple of events that led to him writing this letter. The first is, as we learned yesterday, that peter believes his death is imminent so he wants to give these ethical instructions to this community so that they can fully understand how to live the way of jesus after peter is no longer physically with them connected to that impending death is another event there seems to be these false teachers these false prophets Who have infiltrated the christian community and they are causing the christians in this church to doubt whether or not jesus is going to return and that has negatively impacted the holiness of this community beloved if our understanding of the second coming does not change our behavior in the present We have become what others, other authors described as so heavenly-minded we are of no earthly good. Peter is concerned about the behavior of these Christians, so he writes to them to tell them, here's why we believe Jesus will keep his promise to return, and that, when you trust that promise, will create holiness in your life as a community. So let's kind of walk section by section through again verses 16 to 21 of second peter chapter 1 and again the argument that peter's making is continuing in this letter so he has just described how you need to believe and live in light of the fact that one you are mortal and then secondly that jesus is returning So now he's going to begin to describe with more specificity why we should take the apostles' promise seriously. So assurance that Jesus is coming is a way that we could understand the verses of verse 16 through verse 21. So let's look first at verses 16 through 18. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. Speaking here of the apostles, Peter is likely using language that the false teachers and the false prophets have used as they've sought to get the community to question the promise of Jesus. Oh, those apostles, they were just giving you myths. It was a metaphor. It wasn't really something that should be taken seriously. Peter says that he and the apostles did not Follow these cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the, and this is a very important phrase, majestic glory we'll come back to that in a in a minute saying this is my son my beloved with whom i am well pleased we ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain so again peter is offering us reasons to be sure that jesus is going to return And the first reason he gives is the Apostles' experience. So he's now describing how the Apostles proclaimed the gospel to this community. And he's now going to root the authority of that proclamation, which included the promise of Jesus' return, in an experience the Apostles had. So more specifically he's going to describe the experience that's recorded for us in matthew 17 and in mark 9 something we know as the transfiguration so he's going to describe this experience okay a couple of observations in verses 16 17 and 18. one gospel proclamation and this is an important thing to remind ourselves of what is it like when we have Heard the gospel. Oftentimes, especially in our evangelical Baptist tradition, we use the phrase gospel, and I'm not exactly sure what we mean when we say that. And more specifically, I'm less sure that what we mean when we say that is what the apostles mean in the scriptures when they say it. Gospel proclamation is declaring good news about what Jesus did oftentimes in our tradition our gospel proclamation or what we mean by that starts with me starts with you starts with you have this problem and then are you going to make this arrangement with God so that that problem can be solved now there's a kernel of truth in those gospel presentations that start with you're going to die, and do you want to know where you can go when you die? And then that gets called gospel. Beloved, that is one thing, and there could be a place where that is wise to discuss, but that is not what the Bible means. That is not what the gospel means. That is not what the scriptures mean when it uses the phrase gospel. So Peter here says, we did not verse 16 follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you when we declared to you these are gospel verbs the power and coming of our lord jesus christ so the gospel is declaring good news about what jesus did so peter is going to then go back to an experience that that's described in the gospels and he's going to proclaim that and then he wants us to believe that and when we believe that we're converted when we believe that we are quote unquote saved but the gospel is not you must do this the gospel is good news good news about what jesus did secondly gospel proclamation is declaring good news about who jesus is so peter's going to root the authority That he had and the apostles had to make promises, to communicate the promises Jesus made to this Christian community in the fact that they had an experience that revealed who Jesus is. For he revealed, received rather, verse 17, honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory. Again, note that word. We're going to come back to that. That's a very important phrase saying, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter is proclaiming the gospel by telling the story of the transfiguration. And what does he want us to see? That that story, that account reveals something, not only about what Jesus did, but about who Jesus is. And then finally, gospel proclamation declares that God himself delivers this message. Okay? This was something that was spoken to us by God about Jesus. Unlike all of the other Caesars in Peter's day, Caesars would declare themselves sons of God. And if they were a little less humble than that, a little less narcissistic, a little less psycho, they would then have the Roman Senate declare that they were the son of God. Well, Jesus is the son of God. He is a son of God unlike any other because he doesn't declare it himself. Secondly, he doesn't need somebody other than God to declare it. He trusts the word of God and his status as king and as son of God, is rooted in a declaration that comes from God himself. So assurance that we can trust Jesus' promise that he will return is first found in the apostle's experience. Secondly, verses 19 to 21, it's found in the God who speaks. The God who speaks. So now I want you to see how Peter is going to teach us something here about the god who speaks so we have the apostles have and then they've shared that with this christian community we have the prophetic message and then i love this phrase more fully confirmed because peter james and john matthew 17 mark 9 experience the transfiguration they have something more full than even the old testament prophets had you will do well to be attentive to this and then notice this progression attentive to the prophetic message that the apostles gave to them as a lamp shining in the dark place in a dark place and then notice the progression so first of all we're going to pay attention to a lamp in a dark room then we're going to pay attention or we're going to keep paying attention until the day dawns until the sun sun or son rises and the morning star rises in your hearts so do you see this progression so there's this notion that within the old testament uh prophets the word of god began and then it became fully revealed through Jesus on transfiguration, and then now we find ourselves in a similar situation to where we have this promise that Jesus gave the apostles, the apostles gave us, and we're going to pay attention to that while we wait for this patient progression of the light becoming brighter and the darkness becoming more and more defeated by the light. So that's the way Peter is dealing with this delay, so to speak, in the second coming of Jesus, that it is just like the prophets slowly then found their fullness in Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And who was there with him, aside from Peter, James, and John? The Old Testament prophets, just like they found their fullness the mount of transfiguration so we are in this age where we are paying attention to a small light in a dark room that will grow and grow and grow until jesus returns and then now peter's kind of going to summarize the trustworthiness of the apostolic message that is rooted in what they learned about jesus On the mount of transfiguration beloved ultimately second peter 1 20 and 21 is about the prophetic word made plain on the mount of transfiguration first of all you must understand this that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by human will but men and women moved by the holy spirit spoke from god so this is talking about the word the apostles proclaimed to the Christians who received this letter the first time, and then the word that they received from God, from the voice of God about Jesus given to them by the Holy Spirit. So the Old Testament prophets moved in a progression to God's word through Jesus. Now it is more fully confirmed. And then verses 20 to 21 are specifically about the word of God we have about Jesus through events like the transfiguration. So, a couple of takeaways that we can take together from this paragraph in 2 Peter 1. One, experience confirmed by Jesus is good. This is important because we who especially take God's word seriously, oftentimes we kind of speak disparagingly of experience. That's just your experience. That's just your experience. One of the things that struck me as I read this story is Peter actually appeals first to an experience he had in order to confirm what he believed about the promises of God. Richard Rohr describes um, basically our understanding of God's revelation as like a tricycle. And there's three wheels on that tricycle. And the first wheel, the thing that pulls us forward, is our experience. Then these back two wheels are scripture and then the uh, teachings of the church, the fundamentals of the faith, the things like the creeds and the doctrinal statements that we have. And I think there's some wisdom there because even in our... Protestant reformed circles where we emphasize sola scriptura. Notice it's not solo scriptura, it's sola scriptura, that, that ultimately our authority is God's word. But beloved, every time I preach and teach, oftentimes light bulbs go on when I somehow connect the truth of God's word to an experience that I've had or an experience that you've had. That ultimately, beloved, we just need to admit that our experience does play a role in our understanding of God and in our understanding of scripture. But ultimately what I think this text does is it gives us the wisdom to say, take your experience to what you know about Jesus in the scriptures. That ultimately experience confirmed by Jesus is, is a good thing to which you and I would do well To pay attention secondly and i've promised you two times now a third time we're going to come back to this phrase majestic glory okay this word that the nrsv translates majestic is a word that it only occurs here in the entire new testament it never occurs anywhere else so it's a word that's difficult for us to to really understand what's going on the only The only information we have is outside the New Testament within like political literature, okay? Descriptions of political events. This word that's translated here, majestic, is a word that's used in a context that goes something like this. Okay, this leader, this tax collector, this politician, gave this lucrative amount of money to this leader. So one of the things that happens in our American context is when you run for office, you usually have to make financial disclosures, okay? You have to make available things about your finances because the powers that be want to make sure that there's not something underhanded going on. I serve on the library board here in Samanoc and there is a financial disclosure statement that I have to make even by just serving as a trustee for the Samanoc Public Library District. Okay, this is a good thing. This word here this translated majestic is a word that's used in that context where so much equity, so much property, so much money changed hands that it made us Suspicious. Okay. The word has this prefix connected to it called mega. In other words, it is just so large and so overwhelming that it makes everybody who sees it suspicious. Well, what is Peter saying? He is using this word connected to the voice of God spoken for our sake over Jesus. So look at verse 17. For he, The Lord Jesus Christ, when they were eyewitnesses of his majesty, he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic, mega, suspiciously glorious. And what did that glory look like? It looked like what the voice said. This is my son, my beloved With whom I am well pleased. Beloved, the glory of God on display is the suspicious love of God on display. The glory of God is not captured by the opening of the Ark of the Covenant in Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark that melts the faces of the Nazis. No, the glory of God on display is the God who speaks to his son words of Paternal love. Beloved, as Christians, the first and primary thing we believe about God is that he is fully revealed in Jesus. And then what we believe that Jesus reveals fully about God is that within his very essence, he is a God of participatory love. Beloved, Jesus reveals a God who is suspiciously loving. Can I remind you of a quote that we looked at uh, just a few days ago by William Plasher. He says this, "'The Christian gospel does not start its understanding of God by asserting that God is all powerful. To read the biblical narratives is to encounter a God who is first of all, love." Again, as I emphasized a few days ago, he's not denying the power of God. He is just saying, Where do we start in our understanding of God? Plasher continues, love involves a willingness to put oneself at risk. And God is in fact vulnerable in love, vulnerable even to great suffering. A couple of days ago in our kitchen, our water pitcher was empty So we have this water pitcher that has a filter in it, and and we fill that and place it in the refrigerator so that we have water whenever we need it. Well, Stuart had emptied that uh, water pitcher into his um, minion's cup, and he kept the rules. Whenever you empty that pitcher, uh, you need to fill it. In fact, the rule is, if there isn't two cups of water in that pitcher, you need to fill it up. Well, he emptied it, so he took it upon himself to fill it. So he pulled the chair over to the, the, the sink in the kitchen and he opened up the top of the pitcher and he opened the faucet and it began filling. And it's a little bit of a process to kind of fill the pitcher because the top filter part fills and then it drains down into the pitcher. So he was standing there for a while and he got a little bit bored. So he left it running and left it running and left it running and he decided to go read. So he really got into his book. Something that I love about Stuart is, is, is how much he likes to read. So I come up from downstairs, and I see the faucet running, and I see the pitcher filling, and I can see that the pitcher is overflowing into the sink. Well, what Stuart didn't realize is the stopper was in the sink. So. The pitcher was on the stopper. The pitcher was overflowing into the sink. Not only did we have a full pitcher, but literally we had water that had raised all the way up to the surface of the sink, about ready to overflow into our kitchen. Beloved, that's a good image of what the love of God is like it is overflowing it is mega m-e-g-a beloved jesus reveals and in his transfiguration the apostles beheld his glory and what did they hear as they beheld his glory this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased within the very inner life of god is a participatory love. Beloved, may you and I believe in a God who is so loving it should make us suspicious. May grace and peace and the suspicious love of God be yours in abundance. Grace and peace.